Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is May the 19th, and our chapter for today is the book of Esther, chapter 9. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his degree to be executed. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. The opposite occurred. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. Again, this theme is repeated from Genesis to Revelation. God has the final say. Be encouraged, child of God. In whatever age you are listening to this message, God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator God, the savior God, the redeemer God, he is in control. The enemy of our souls, the devil and his demons do not have the final say God does. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes it looks like that the devil is winning. It looks like that evil is going to overcome good. That's not the case. Yes, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and a lot of leaven permeates a culture and a society because leaven represents sin in the Bible, and sin dominates, and that is why it is so important for us to fill our hearts and minds with good and godliness, and this is exactly what happened. The enemy had hoped to destroy the Jews. Very much like those down through the centuries. You can read about it over and over again in the historical records of the kingdoms that have come against the Jewish people. You can read it in the Bible. And this is just another occurrence when what was meant for evil, God turned for good. And it says, again in verse 1, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because of the fear that fell upon the people. Now, what does that remind us of? When the children of Israel went in the promised land, what happened? Rahab the harlot said, because of the hand of your God is upon you, the hearts of all of the people of this land are melting before you. You see, that's what the power and the presence of Almighty God does. And so the scripture says, and the officials and the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work, they helped the Jews. All of a sudden, those who were once going to be adversaries of the Jews are now advocates for the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Now look at the difference in Mordecai's lot from what it was when Haman was alive. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus, the Jews defeated all of their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. 
Now, if you fast forward to chapter 10, it's an amazing thing. It says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and all the islands of the sea. That is, wherever his kingdom stretched, he imposed tribute. Now, all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? Now, this is chapter 10, verse 2. Verse 3 says, listen to this, For Mordecai, the Jew, was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and seeking peace to all of his countrymen. Now, who does that sound like? It sounds like Joseph in the land of Egypt. And how God raised him up above his peers, raised him up above everyone in the nation of Egypt. And God took what even Joseph's brothers meant for harm, for evil, and he turned it around for good. Now back to chapter 9. And the Bible says that on that day, that had been set aside to kill the Jews. On that day, the number of those who were killed by the Jews in Shushan the palace was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the citadel, the palace, and the 10 sons of Haman as well. What have they done in the rest of the provinces? In other words, we have taken care of this problem, I think. Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. You see, King Ahasuerus saw that Esther and Mordecai had done the right thing. There was evil. There was corruptness within his kingdom, and he wanted to get it out as well. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan the palace to do it again tomorrow. Why? Because they couldn't finish the job. There were so many enemies of the Jews that it didn't end in one day. They had to take two. And so please put out another decree and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows so that Everyone can see what has been done. You see, this is what Haman was wanting to do to the Jews. This is what he was wanting to do to Mordecai so that he could put him up impaled on this pole to warn people to not mess with Haman. But God messed with him. You see, you don't mess with God. You don't mess with God's people. God has the final say. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Now, this is the second time that this is mentioned. In verse 10, it was mentioned, and they killed those ten sons, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. In other words, they were not going to be enriched by a wicked man's plunder. And so, verse 16, the remainder of the Jews and the king's provinces gathered together and protected themselves, had rest from their enemy, and they killed 75,000 of their enemies. That's how many enemies they had. They didn't just recklessly kill people. These were people who were set on destroying them. 
but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. There it is again. Why is this continuing to be said? It's because the Jews did not want the rest of the kingdom to say they were doing this just for plunder, just for money, just for gain. No, it was to protect their families. There's a big difference. And these Jewish people knew that if they did not wipe these people out, then they would rise up against them again, and sooner or later they would have to fight this war again. Now, this is exactly the way that God does things. For instance, people have said, well, why did David go to Goliath after he had killed him with that sling and a stone and cut his head off? because he had to confirm that Goliath was dead. This is the way that you confirm the death of the enemy was to cut his head off. You see, if you don't make sure the enemy is dead, the enemy who is not dead will rise up and kill you. And this is exactly what they were doing. They were making sure that they rooted out every kind of nest of anyone that had this Jew hatred in their system that they would destroy them. This is what you see all the time in battles between modern-day Israel and their enemies that surround them. This is what's happening with Hamas. This is what's happening with Hezbollah. This is what's happening with the PIJ, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. They are whipped by the Israelis, but because Israel doesn't wipe out the nest of them, they come back on them and start shooting missiles again. This happens over and over again in history. If you'll recall, World War II was fought because in World War I, Germany was defeated, but the nest was not cleaned out, and so we had to come back and fight the war again. Now, by the way, let me just say to you that this goes on throughout all the Bible. For instance, the Battle of Gog and Magog is fought, I believe, certainly either before or early in the tribulation period. I believe it will be before the Great Tribulation begins. The Battle of Gog and Magog. Well, you look at the end of the Millennial Kingdom after a thousand years, a thousand years of peace and prosperity and goodness and godliness and Jesus himself, the Messiah, reigning from Jerusalem. What do we see? We see another battle against Gog and Magog. This happens all the time. Why? Because there is sin within the human heart. It is so in our DNA that as soon as we can rebel, we will rebel unless our heart is regenerated. Even after a thousand years of peace and prosperity and goodness and health and peace that will be throughout all of the world, and yet The enemy of our souls, Satan, when he is released from the abyss, from the bottomless pit, it's translated in our English Bibles, he will go out and tempt as many as the sands of the sea. In other words, it can't even be numbered. Remember the population explosion that will take place during the great millennium when we go back to the antediluvian days, the days before the flood, when the scripture says if a man dies at a 100 years of age, he will be considered a youth, a babe. 
that kind of health and prosperity. And yet, as soon as a person has an opportunity to turn against God, he will do it. Why? Because the human heart has not been changed. And sooner or later, governments in the world, and especially in the United States of America, well, I hope we figure this out at the top, that you can take a person from the slums and put them in a palace and it will not belong to that palace as a slum. Why? Because the change of location doesn't change the human heart. It's not that we need to get people out of the slums and poverty into the palace. We need to get the slums out of the people. In other words, it's a heart problem. And it's not a money problem. It is not a location problem. It is a heart problem. And only God can change the heart. No law that's ever passed, no program that's ever entered upon, no endeavor can change the human heart, save the Spirit of God, because He's the only one that made the heart. He's the only one that can change it. And so in the provinces, the Scripture says that in verse 16, the remainder of the Jews in the king's province Provinces gathered together and protected their lives and had rest from their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of Adar, and on the 14th day of the month they rested and had a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th, and on the 15th day of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelled in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things, sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another, gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast Per, that is, the lot. That's the word for lot, to consume them and destroy them. You see, as the Persians did, they would cast lots as to see what would be the best time to do things and what would be the best month to do things. And Haman had said, this will be the month, the month of Adar, when we will destroy the Jews. And he cast lots to his gods to see which month was best. And so the Jews took that lot, that poor and made that day that was meant for evil a day for rejoicing and celebrating, and it became a holiday that they would take to keep, to remember, just like the Levitical feast. They were to keep and remember. They were to hold these dear and do things that would remind them of God's goodness. Verse 26, so they call these days poor, yes, but Purim. 
That is, Lot's after the name of poor. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter they had concerning this matter that happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that means Gentiles, anyone else, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions, according to the prescribed time, that these days, listen, should be remembered and kept. Those are the same kinds of words for Shabbat, by the way, that they should be remembered, that you have the Sakur and you have the Shemur, that is the remembering and keeping of these appointed times, these Moedim, these Moed. This was to be kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish from among their descendants. And so this was established, and it is still being observed to this very day. The Jews do this. And so the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim as it was written in the book. What a day of rejoicing. And so let's rejoice with the Jewish people that God in his great wisdom continues to watch over them. He blesses those who bless his people and he curses those who curse his people. May the name of God himself and of Jesus our Lord be praised forever. Amen. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.